I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at Hong Kong, which has been the scene of mass street protests and indeed pitched battles with the police, triggered by a proposed new law which would make it easier to extradite suspected criminals to mainland China. Joining me to discuss this here in the studio is James King, our Global China Editor. And on the line from Shenzhen, just across the border from Hong Kong in mainland China, is our correspondent there, Su Lin Wong. James, first of all, these scenes are pretty unprecedented, aren't they? It's more than 20 years since the handover. Has anything like this happened before? There hasn't been anything on this scale. There was in 2014 a major movement in Hong Kong, the Umbrella Movement, but this has eclipsed it in scale. There were about a million people on the streets of Hong Kong last couple of days. And, you know, what's happened today is also rather different from what happened in 2014 with the police really getting heavy with the protesters using tear gas and rubber bullets. And there are some very disturbing videos that have appeared on Twitter and other forms of social media of police rushing at unarmed demonstrators and beating them up with truncheons as they lay on the floor. This is also rather uncharacteristic of how demonstrations of this type are normally handled in Hong Kong and different, again, from what we saw in the Umbrella Movement of 2014. So we are in slightly new territory with this one. And the other thing about this demonstration is that it's absolutely clear that Beijing wants this extradition law to be passed by the Hong Kong authorities. And it's equally clear that a very large majority of Hong Kong people are implacably opposed to it. So there is an ongoing standoff right now, and it is difficult to know how this will play out. But it does feel as if Beijing, normally fairly in control, has has lost control of events here in a way that must be very worrying to them. This is the thing about Beijing and Beijing's track record when it comes to dealing with opposition. Of course, let's not make too much of a parallel with 30 years ago, the Tiananmen crackdown, the massacre in Tiananmen Square. Which you covered at the time. Which I did cover at the time. But I would say that there could be a parallel in one regard only, and that is that when Beijing is backed into a corner, it can decide to take uncompromising measures. I'm not for a minute suggesting that there will be violence on on the type of scale that we saw 30 years ago. But the recourse to strong-arm tactics that we've seen with rubber bullets and tear gas and beating up demonstrators has, I think, surprised people. And this has happened fairly early on. The hallmark of the umbrella movement of 2014 was the restraint with which the Hong Kong police dealt with the demonstrators. Those demonstrations went on for weeks, were very prolonged indeed, and eventually kind of petered out. So we are in different territory this time. And Su Lin, you're just across the border in mainland China. Is this being reported there? Are people aware of what's going on? Almost everyone I've spoken to in Shenzhen, which is just across the border from Hong Kong, has no idea what's currently happening and didn't know that a million people took to the streets of Hong Kong on Sunday. 
There are a few posts on social media from pro-Beijing newspapers, which characterize the protesters as evil and being used by foreign forces. But on Chinese social media, almost everything has been censored. It's extraordinary, that, isn't it, though, because the interaction between the two cities must be quite intense. I mean, there's a lot of business going one way or another. Presumably, the secret can't be kept for very long. Yeah, so it's ironic in a way because Beijing is really pushing this new Greater Bay Area, which is trying to increase connectivity between mainland southern China and Hong Kong and Macau. And yet, obviously, when it comes to increased information sharing on sensitive topics, or topics that Beijing deems sensitive, like these protests, that is something that is not happening at all between Hong Kong and Shenzhen and other parts of mainland China. Now, you've both spent a great deal of time in Hong Kong, been based there. You're currently based there now, James. Could you see this coming, I suppose, is the question I'd like to ask both of you. James, first. I left Hong Kong uh, a few days ago, and obviously that was before these demonstrations have taken place. But in the run-up, the extradition law was definitely a very strong topic of conversation in the business community and among ordinary Hong Kong people. There was a great sense of pessimism, I would say, among the business community. And I was talking to some very senior, long-standing members representing big Western and Hong Kong companies there. There was a great sense of pessimism that that the high degree of autonomy which the mainland Chinese government has signed up to to preserve in Hong Kong until 2047, that was under the terms of the handover between the UK and China back in 1997, there is a great deal of pessimism these days that that high degree of autonomy is being eroded. And in particular, the rule of law, which is essential to the operation of Hong Kong, is being eroded. People are even getting concerned about, you know, in the future, will contracts be enforceable in Hong Kong or will they always be enforceable? Because effectively, what this extradition law can mean is that if China decides it doesn't like somebody in Hong Kong, it can get that person extradited back to the mainland. And it's quite possible, based on recent experience, that that person could be a dissident or could be somebody with whom China has some kind of commercial dispute. So it's really hard to overestimate the sense of pessimism that's being felt in Hong Kong with regard to this extradition law. And Sulin, that's, I guess, the view from the boardroom in a way, if you like. But the umbrella movement in 2014 was very much a young person's movement. It was led by people like Joshua Wong, who were teenagers at the time. What's the mood among the young in Hong Kong? I mean, some people said after the umbrella movement that it had faded away again, but uh, this would suggest not. Yeah, so I think the protests this past week have really come as a surprise because There's widespread agreement that the umbrella movement ended in failure. The protesters didn't get genuine universal suffrage, which is what they were fighting for. And since then, we've seen freedoms in Hong Kong slowly eroded by the government. And a lot of young people have been very despondent about what they see is the future direction of Hong Kong. And yet this week, we've seen a real shift in mood and an outpouring of anger and frustration on the streets of Hong Kong. And the overwhelming feeling is that this might be the last chance to really take a stance and to really protest, because if the extradition bill does get passed, which it likely will get passed through Hong Kong's parliament, a lot of people fear that it will become too risky for them to publicly protest. 
James, just to put to you, I guess, the Beijing response and indeed the Hong Kong government response, as I understand it, they say this is all overdone, this extradition thing was partly the result of a murder suspect not being able to be extradited, and this would only apply to very serious crimes. It wouldn't necessarily affect freedom of speech. Anything in that? Well, I mean, obviously we should pay attention to what the Hong Kong government is saying, but recent history shows that China extradites all kinds of people. There was the case of a famous mainland Chinese businessman who was sitting in the Four Seasons Hotel with an all-female bodyguard that was literally snatched from the poolside and taken back to China. Admittedly, he was a mainland citizen, but people have looked at that and drawn their own conclusions. We had the case of the booksellers, booksellers that were taken taken either from Hong Kong or from other countries in the region and taken back to China. In one case, the case of Gui Minhai, this is a Swedish citizen who has basically hardly been heard of since. And so people do appear to be extradited from Hong Kong on a non-legal basis, and then they tend to sort of disappear within the security system in China. I won't call it the legal system in China because quite often these people are not actually charged. So I think there's a whole nexus of concerns that people are feeling right now. And Su Lin, again, one of the cliches about Hong Kong, you'd sometimes hear from people, you know, top levels of business and so on, is that it's a business city. People don't really care about these political issues as long as prosperity is guaranteed. But again, that doesn't seem to be the case at the moment. Yeah, and I think that's a very important point in all of this. Unlike other protests, for example, the Umbrella Movement, where it was mostly activists who were fighting for democracy or even previous protests before that, this is different because there's a real sense that the extradition law affects everyone. It's not just about the activists or the young people. It cuts across the board. It impacts the business community. It impacts the uh, pro-establishment community and the people who often are more sympathetic to Beijing because they're the ones who have a lot of business in mainland China and could very much be targeted through the extradition law. And James, taking a few steps back, what's changed, do you think? Because, as I say, it's now 22 years since the handover. The first 10 years or so, you know, I'm an occasional visitor to Hong Kong, a lot of the liberals were actually pleasantly surprised and said, you know, Beijing's not been too heavy handed. You still have things like the commemoration of Tiananmen Square every year in Hong Kong, which would be unthinkable in the mainland. But there does seem to be a shift in attitude in China in a sense that they're now suddenly pushing for things like this new extradition law. What do you think's changed? I think there's been a couple of changes. One is the big climate of the Chinese government. You know, it does appear that the authorities in Beijing have become more hardline in recent years. We've seen several cases of dissidents that have been locked up or had their movement restricted even more than in the past. We've seen an erosion of the very tenuous freedoms of the press in the mainland. It's rather difficult these days to find any kind of dissenting voice, certainly not on politics and even on economics these days within the mainland itself. I mean, this is effectively a shift towards authoritarianism as controlled by Xi Jinping, the Chinese General Secretary of the Communist Party. So that's the big climate. The small climate is Hong Kong itself. And I think quite a lot of the analysts I've been speaking to in Hong Kong 
say that the mainland took fright at the umbrella movement. They saw that many people on the streets of Hong Kong. They saw the aspirations of the younger generation of Hong Kongers for direct suffrage, and they thought this is an existential threat. You know, Beijing has a completely different type of governance system, and they thought we need to nip this in the bud. We need to get tough with this. And quite a lot of analysts in Hong Kong believe that that is what is playing out. Today, with the increased strong-arm tactics of the Hong Kong police. Okay, well, it's obviously a moving situation in in both senses of the word. Something I'm sure we'll return to quite soon. But for now, that's it until next week. Goodbye. But thank you very much indeed to James King here in the studio and to Sulin Wong in Shenzhen. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.